Welcome to Loop Me In, the podcast community for parents and carers on raising children with disabilities. Join presenters Dr. Lisa Interligi and Christine Christopoulos and their guests on sharing experiences, information, and support ideas to help children with disabilities flourish. Loop Me In is brought to you weekly on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, to name a few. You can learn more, connect with the Loop Me In community, and listen to more episodes on our website, loop-me-in.com.au. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to our podcast. Lisa and I are children... Um, have children with a disability. They're both 20 now. And we are very keen to talk about choosing the right school for children with a disability. And I've come across you through my daughter who um, worked under you at Noah's Ark, where you were a team leader there for over 10 years. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, it's a real pleasure. I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chat about what my experience has taught me. And also, you know, I'm sure you two as parents have a lot to contribute to this conversation. Yeah, definitely. It's been a big, uh, it was one of the biggest decisions, I think, that at least I faced um, and my husband and I faced with Louis as to where to send him and um, not knowing you know, we had an older child who, you know, who went to school, but we didn't really know, you know, what the implications of the decision that we were going to make um, had and what were the right criteria and how did we know what he was capable of. And there were so many unknowns that it was a very stressful time. Mm, That's something that um, a lot of parents report. I think that's a very common experience, um, and an unfortunate one, um, but hopefully together we can come up with some tips and pointers that are going to help families through that process. But um, I think it's really interesting that you um, mentioned that you have another child that um, you sent to school and you didn't, you know, sort of agonise over it quite so much. And I think that's a really interesting point because many of the things that I think we should be considering with children with additional needs um, they're not necessarily completely different issues to typically developing children. Um, I think many of the things that you kind of want to think about are around, you know, location and um, access to schools, the philosophy of the particular school you're looking at and how that matches with your philosophy and that of your family. Um, Classroom size and the access to resources, schools are increasingly getting larger and larger and is that the right fit for your child? Um, and do you want your kids to go to the same school or is it okay that your kids go to different schools? And I think they're things that possibly families should be thinking about in in relation to any child, but um, they become even more important considerations when you're talking about a child with additional needs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think you're right there, Sarah. Especially on the school size as well, I think when we were looking at Matthew going to a mainstream setting, um, we were looking at obviously location, but B, we were looking at the size of the school to see whether he could cope in a little, you know, school of maybe 110 people as opposed to a big state school of 1,000. Um, and I think, you know, that is one of the biggest changes 
um, over the last couple of decades is the size of schools, that they are increasingly becoming very large. Um, and that has an impact on lots of kids. But when you're talking about a child um, with additional needs, they're not necessarily going to do well in a, in a playground where there are 500 kids at the same time. Um, I'm not sure that typically developing children necessarily do well um, in such a large playground, but that's a really big issue. And I guess also class sizes, they are to a certain extent limited um, by the Department of Education. But when you're talking about a um, special education setting, usually those classrooms are you know, sort of maximum 10 kids where a mainstream setting could be anywhere up to 30 children in a classroom. Um, and how is your child going to manage that? Yeah, I think, you know, when we were looking around, we, we you know, we didn't know whether, um, you know, Louis would um, be able to fit and learn in a mainstream school or a special needs school. And that was kind of our um, big decision point um, given his development and his um, diagnosis. Um, and so, you know, really it's before you even get to that, for me it was around, you know, is is you know, is it a mainstream setting that I should be looking at or is it something that is more tailored to his um circumstance. So what are some of the things that you suggest that parents should think about when they're considering those decisions? Uh, I think uh, the more information you have, the better. And I definitely think um, this is a very overwhelming topic for parents, but there isn't enough uh, information out there. So um, basically, in Australia, you've got two main choices in terms of are you looking at a state school, which could be mainstream or a special school setting, or are you looking at an independent school, which um, could be the Catholic school system or some other school? They have completely different funding programs and what their support that they will support and how they support are very different. Um, but most families with children with additional needs are going to pick the um, uh, state school system. So, you know, I think it's probably best to keep our um, discussion really looking at, at that kind of system. One of the things that many families don't realise is that for the vast majority of cases, if your child qualifies for funding under the state school system in a mainstream school, they qualify to go to a special school. Most parents don't realise that. They think, oh, you know, my child um, isn't, for better want of a better word, bad enough to go to a special school setting. And that's not the case. If your child qualifies for funding, they qualify to attend a special school setting. So I think then I would be looking at what is the major difference between the two settings? And aside from, you know, size and location that we've talked about, the really big difference is their approach to education and what they teach. So mainstream schools have a big focus on academic learning um, and learning for life. So, um, you know, that's probably the system that most of us went through. We're probably reasonably familiar with that. A special school system has much more of a focus on um, learning of life skills. So yes, you need to learn how to count, but why do you need to learn how to count? You need to learn how to count so you can manage money, so that you can um, 
work out how many um, apples you need to buy this week. So their focus is much more about what are the skills that children need to leave the education system with in order to be as independent as possible in the community where, um, as many of us would have learned, our mainstream settings you know, didn't teach you how to set up a bank account or how to manage a, um, a budget or how to read a train timetable and catch the train. So I think that would be my point of greatest consideration for families is what is it that your child really needs to learn in order to function successfully in society? Um, and if those things are much more around life skills and independence and need to be directly taught those skills, a special school setting might be a better option. Yeah, so how do you know that? I mean, how do you know that at, at four or five? You know, like I guess that what you don't want to do as a parent is limit your child. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's it is about, what is their learning potential and how do you know? And I guess from our point of view, you know, we, we went through assessments and that's, you know, kind of how we got that that funding allocated through application. But um, so, so what, is, how, you know, what tips could you give parents around, you know, I don't know, how, how you know, how do you know what the potential of the child is? Hmm. Um, that's such a good and challenging question. Um, and one that as an allied health professional, I get a lot and, you know, um, we don't have crystal balls and we, um, you know, can't give any parent any definitive answers, but we certainly um, should be aiming to give families support around um, what our professional experience tells us about children similar to yours. Mm. Um, a big part, you talked about assessments. Part of the process for school assessments is a cognitive assessment. So we're looking at the, um, the the thinking skills of children and what their capacity is. So um, that will result in an IQ number, and you know we sincerely hope the psychologist who does that assessment can give you some more feedback about what that number means in a real life setting, but. If your child has an intellectual disability, what that's telling us is that they are going to find learning more challenging than a typical child. They're going to learn at a slower rate and they might not be able to uh, learn um, as extensively as some other children. So that's something to really think about. And I guess, you know, so if your child receives an IQ score of below 70, they are eligible to, to attend a special school setting. And I guess, you know, if you're eligible to attend those settings, then I think that's really uh, sort of telling you something within itself that your child is going to need quite a bit of extra support. And that doesn't mean that mainstream is ruled out, but it means that if you are looking at mainstream, you want to be asking some really targeted questions about what kind of supports are you going to offer my child because they're not going to cope well sitting in by themselves in a classroom without any extra support. Mm, that's exactly right. And that was 
I don't know whether the testing has changed, but I remember Matthew's IQ was quite low and I did look at the local Catholic school and and to look at maybe getting an aid. And the aide said to me, you, we can't possibly teach him in the classroom the way he would want to be taught, needs to be taught. Mm. Um, and I think you're exactly right. I think that IQ, as hard as it is as a parent to get that number, <laughs> um, it it does really identify w- whether they can learn in the mainstream setting or not. And um, uh, that was one of the things that I was, you know, in preparing for our discussion, I was thinking about, you know, what would be my top tip? And one of them would be that if you are looking at a mainstream um, setting, to really talk to them about what supports they can offer Lots of parents assume that their child is going to get a one-on-one aid in the classroom. Uh, It's really important to understand that that's not a given. Um, The school has discretion about how they choose to use the funding. And it's extremely rare for a child to receive enough funding to have a one-on-one aid all the time that they're at school. So... Chances are that there is going to be some time where your child is not supported um, with an extra assistant in the classroom. And what schools try to do to alleviate that issue is they'll tend to sort of pair a, a couple of children who receive funding in the same classroom. So there is an aid in the classroom the whole time, but they might be supporting two or three children, not just your child. The difference being if you're going to a special school setting, there is always multiple educators in a classroom with less children. So the ratio for a special school setting is usually two um, two students to one um, educator. In a mainstream setting, it could be anywhere up to sort of 15 students to one. So you know, by all means, explore mainstream settings and every school does it differently. Some are really clever with how they um, work the funding and maximise it. But I think you need to go into that discussion understanding that it's not going to be someone that sits with your child one-on-one, teaching them individually for every single moment of their time there. And Sarah, can you tell me, because one of the other things that um, was a consideration for us was around um, social connection and having relationships because, uh, at least for me, a healthy, you know, life is, you know, that you have uh, the ability to make connections and and have friends and relationships. How does that, how do you think that plays out for um, kids um, with um, who have special needs? You're absolutely right in saying that that is a fundamental thing in life and, uh, and a human right. And children and adults with additional needs want um, social connections just as much as anybody else does. And we need to foster that in the way that is most appropriate for them. So there are pros and cons to both school settings that um, mainstream school settings are often a really good choice for those children that are really social um, but also sort of borderline on the intellectual disability front because they will be challenged um, to grow emotionally um, through their their peers. 
where for some parents their complaint about special school settings is that many of the children in that setting also have social um, impairments and that means that um, their child isn't necessarily getting the social um, engagement that they really need. But conversely, think about what it must be like for um, for children sitting in a setting that everybody else is talking about things that are not of interest to you or things that um, you don't understand. And over time, that's going to create a really big barrier to your social engagement. Um, so I guess that would be something I would also consider about choosing a school setting and it might be one of the big factors that you consider around starting in one setting and transitioning to another. Um, so I've worked um, really closely with a number of families that have started in mainstream settings because of that social aspect but have recognised that at, at a certain point this is going to cognitively get beyond my child and that then is going to be frustrating and um, have a really big impact on my child's well-being. But for the first couple of years of school, it's actually going to be a real positive to be with um, other children that are, you know, um, outgoing, have great social skills, are going to push my child to develop appropriate social skills. And how how successful, like, what are the challenges in doing that transition um, you know, going from um, one setting to another setting. What uh, what a good question. And I've certainly seen children go both directions from mainstream to special schools and children go from a special setting into a mainstream setting. Oh, so, wow. I've never heard of that one. So yeah, you, you've, it does okay. happen. Yeah. Um, particularly um, more often happens with children on the autism spectrum who need um, some really specific targeted support around um, developing certain skills and once they've learned those skills, they are ready to transition into a more mainstream setting. Um, but it, it's probably more typical to be mainstream into a special school setting. Um, some of the things to consider around that is um, special schools work in a different way to a mainstream setting in terms of um, when you finish school. So in a mainstream setting, you start in prep, you go to grade one, grade two, grade et cetera, and you go all the way up to year 12 or you know, thereabouts. In a um, special school setting, you don't transition quite in the same way. It's more about where your skill set is at. And so the Department of Education and Training funds children to attend special schools until they are 18. So you leave school at the age of 18, regardless of where your skill set is. So that means in theory, if you start special school later, you get less time in that setting. So some special schools will really discourage families from doing, say, a second year of kinder or from doing um, time in a mainstream school because it means you get less time in the special school setting. Um, I, I can certainly see the point around that, but I think, you know, every child is different and the right decision for you and your family um, shouldn't just be based on those figures on a page and that, you know, your child's going to be 
um, exited from school at 18. For most kids, I'm not sure whether, you know, one or two years in a mainstream setting really has, you know, that much impact. If that's the right setting for them, then they're still going to be learning things and developing um, until they transition into a special school setting. If they're not learning anything, then it's probably not the right spot for them anyway and you would be transitioning them to special school sooner. So I don't think there's a hard and fast answer about that, but I do think you need to be aware that there are consequences in terms of the uh, the end process of education about when your child will have to leave school. Is it more difficult, Sarah, to explain these decisions with the parent? Absolutely. Um, I think, as both of you have highlighted, this was a really emotional process for you. Mm. And um, I think we need to acknowledge having a child with additional needs is emotionally challenging and not just once. It happens over and over and over again. And transition periods, whether it's starting school, finishing school, um, you know, having your first um, relationship, all of those things, sadly, are challenges for families with a child with an additional need. And I can completely appreciate how confronting it can be to have some of these discussions about coming to terms with the fact that your child may not have the same uh, breadth of opportunities that a typically developing child has. If your child has an intellectual disability, they're not going to be a neurosurgeon. That that's just not <laughs> unfortunately that's off the you know off the option list for your child and Every parent wants their child to be able to do and be anything that that child wants to be. Mm. But that must be really hard to have someone say that. And as professionals, we walk a very um, difficult line between being realistic and giving families, you know, realistic information about what they can expect for their child, but also being hopeful. We like I said, I don't have a crystal ball. I, um, you know, can make an educated guess about what your child's potential and future might be, but I could be wrong and it would be a huge disservice to you and your child not to give you every opportunity to learn new skills and develop, um, you know, things that I didn't think that you were capable of. So. As a professional, this is a really difficult conversation for us to have and I think it's not one that we're necessarily great at doing. Um, I think we need more training and support around this. And having two mums here who have been through this process is really valuable for me as a professional to be able to hear from the other side about what it was like to have these discussions or not in some cases from professionals, um, what you found valuable about what you were told, what was confronting, heartbreaking, shattering, what was 
brushed over and confusing and all, all a bit mamby-pamby and far too nice and you walked out going, I don't know what they were talking about. Huh? <laughs> um, so, you know, feedback from you as parents is really valuable to us, but it is a really fraught and emotional discussion and I think we need to be prepared for the fact it's going to be an emotional discussion. I think you're right. I think it's also as parents you do have certain times of your child's life where you're confronted with it again. So, for example, when Matthew was going into school, realising that Matthew had to go to a special school, even though we had we knew he had an intellectual disability at the age of two, was so confronting. And then obviously, you know, on the journey going into other areas, like, you know, obviously Matthew can't drive and he needs carers to get around 24-7. So, I think you're right. I think, and that one's probably the most important because you're almost saying, okay, my child's got a disability and that's why they're going to a special setting. And it's a huge decision. I know it was for us. Um, We thought about doing what you mentioned before is starting in the mainstream sector and moving out. But the advice we got was similar to what you said before and how he would miss out on so much by not being in the special setting from an early age. And there is increasingly a push um, from government and society for inclusion of people with additional needs into mainstream settings. Um, so there is, I think, a bit of social stigma attached to special school settings. My personal experience is that for some children, a special school setting is the right place for them to be. Um, and if it's going to be the place where they get the support to, you know, maximise their potential, then that's the place we should be sending those children. And mainstream, you know, within your typical mainstream classroom, there is about a 10-year gap in the ability of the lowest performing child and the highest performing child. So I take my hat off to teachers to be able to support those children. The reality is that all of those children are probably not getting the support that they truly need just because of teacher-student ratios. You know, are you doing your child a disservice by adding, you know, adding to that? I think, um, you know, for some children, mainstream is absolutely the right choice. But for many, I think, you know, a special school is a better better option. And as parents, um, you need to try and put aside the emotional aspect of that and, um, you know, your own feelings about, you know, acknowledging that your child is at a special school and thinking about really what does this school offer that is... Um, well fitted to my child and what isn't a good fit for my child. I think that's I think that's absolutely right. You know, one of the things I was, you know, um, lucky enough to be able to do, um, Sarah, was to engage an education specialist, which I know a lot of families aren't able to do, but it was just such a problematic decision. And, you know, I went around and talked to the schools that I had enrolled my son in and said, you know, on the basis of the advice I got from um, this specialist, you know, to to ask what support that the um, schools were able to give him. And at the end of the day, um, I just felt he would get lost. And 
Um, you know, we had similarly done assessments and um, I think that the recommendation by the um, by the um, specialists that we had, the psychologists and people that we had early intervention had recommended that he go to a special school. But even within that, there was a decision about that special school and what special school. And, um, and to do that, it was really about knowing how your child learnt and what made them happy in some ways. And um, we settled on an arts, an arts based Sorry. We, we settled on an, an arts-based um, and music school, like in Port Phillip that really um, used art therapy and, and music because he loved that. And so we ended up finding a place that I think really fit him as a person and really helped him um, develop not only uh, in learning but also socially. And he's made some very great friends that he continues to have today, which is very valuable to him. That's so fantastic to hear. And I think from what you've, you've just said is that you really put his needs first and really thought about um, what are his interests, his his skill set and what school is going to best suit that. And I think you, you've hit the nail on the head that it's not just mainstream versus special school, but which individual school and the special schools are very different. Um, they're not all the same. There are special schools out there that um, only work with children with specific conditions, um, particularly there are autism-specific schools in all areas of Victoria. Um, but also, you know, um, about what kind of programs they offer and their philosophy towards teaching um, and inclusion of families in that process. It sounds such a nebulous thing to say, but I think the vibe of the school is such an important thing. And if you visit a school and you absolutely must do that, I realise COVID creates some challenges, but, you know, if it's remotely an option, you need to visit a school. And if you walk away, um, I, you know, had a parent recently say to me, if you walk away and feel like, you've just been given a big warm hug, you know that that's a good place for you and your child. If you walk away feeling a little bit uncomfortable, your gut's telling you something. Mm, I agree with you. I think you need to spend time in these, even these special school settings to find the school that will suit your child. Because for example, Matthew's a very social child and a couple of the schools I looked at very individualized so there wasn't a lot of interacting with the other kids because those kids just didn't want that and I just knew that would be horrible for Matthew because he all he wanted was to sit in and talk to friends so when we did find this small little special school in Ormond it was exactly you know I left there going okay well this is where Matthew needs to come Mm. yeah very important to look at that so what should we be looking out for as parents when we are looking at special schools? Like obviously you look at location because that's obviously the most important thing for a lot of families. Mm-hmm. What other specific things should you be going if you are autistic, for example, should you be going to an autistic school or is it more than that when you're looking for a school? I think it's all the things that we've kind of discussed in terms of you know, autism-specific schools, they tend to be very good at, um, you know, targeting the specific skill set that um, are strengths for kids with 
autism and um, minimising the things that are um, you, uh, often weaknesses. The downside is particularly around those social skills that, um, you know, if you struggle with social skills and building friendship, the last thing you need to be is spending all your time around people who also have a lot of trouble with those things. So that's a big downside of autism-specific schools is that those kids don't get good role models of um, of you know, social skills. So that could be a really good reason to choose um, a more generalised special school setting is because some, you know, those kids in that in that setting are going to have such a diverse range of needs that there will be kids that will be great role models for those skills. Um, you know, in terms of my, you know, top tips, I, I would strongly suggest that families visit a range of schools. Um, I realise that um, zoning has increasingly become a thing within the education world um, and, you know, in some areas it is harder than others to, you know, get into a school that's not necessarily your local school. But I would still strongly suggest that you go and talk to a few different schools about what they offer and how they um, how they present their programs. That applies to special schools as much as mainstream schools. Um, really go in with a really targeted view about my child. So Christine just talks about Matthew and him being so social. Like you said, some schools where, you know, the the other kids there aren't very social, would not have been a great fit for Matthew. And if he hadn't have gone in with that mindset of Matthew needs socialisation, mm. you perhaps would have missed that. That's so, right. you know, I'd potentially be sitting down and jotting down a couple of, you know, dot points, whether it's physically on paper or, you know, in my head about what are the things that I particularly need to match to my child's needs. And be asking really targeted questions about that. My child really likes um, to to be able to access Lego and engages really well with other kids playing Lego. Do you have a Lego group? Could we set up a Lego group? You know, so ask about what they've got and what their potential is to um, set, um, you know, to um, set up that program if they don't already have it. I. Um, really encourage you parents to talk to other families that attend that school. They can give you lots of insider information. You know, the schools are no different to any other service and word of mouth is really, really valuable and important and you'll you quickly find the pros and cons of various schools. If you're talking about children with additional needs, I think, you know, um, Support groups and other parents with kids with additional needs are a great resource. Um, they might not have chosen the same school as you end up choosing, but they'll be able to help you with some of the things that were considerations for them. And we don't know what we don't know, and it's really helpful to have someone say, oh, have you thought about? Um, so talk to other parents. I think be, be gentle on yourself. And be realistic about what you can achieve. We've talked about location. We touched on that a number of times. Um, the challenge around special schools is there are less of them than mainstream schools, and that always involves some level of travel. Um, 
some, you know, sometimes the ideal school for your child is the one that's two and a half hours away. Is that real? Like, you know, in the perfect world, we'd love to send your child to that school, but is that fair on you or your child to be doing that much travel? Can you keep that up? So like everything in life, it's about a compromise and, you know, you, you need to work out what is your top priorities and how important are the things on your list and what are you willing to compromise on? So, um, you know, be, be realistic about what you can all achieve. And like I said, be gentle on yourself. This is a tough process for, for any family and um, it, we do our best, but it's okay if you don't get it right the first time. Lots and lots of kids change schools, whether it's because you've moved house and you live in a different area but also because it wasn't the right school for you and your family and that's okay. You move on and, you know, try somewhere else. Um, you know, none of us would be encouraging, you know, moving from one school to another constantly. But, um, you know, if you don't get it right first pick, that, that's all right. You did your best. You thought it was, a, the, you know, the right fit, um, but it's not. And, you know, you keep trying and you'll keep um, keep working until you do find the right fit. Yeah, that's exactly right. I wish I had someone like you around when I was making these decisions. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, thank you, ladies. Flattery is always appreciated. <laughs> so if um, parents do want um, support for this decision, Sarah, and in addition to their parent network, which is what we're all about here, um, where else can they get info from? Uh, look, absolutely talk to your allied health professionals and, um, you know, your support team, so your paediatrician or GP. Um, psychologists are really good um, support, you know, because this is often their particular area that they work in. Um, the Department of Education has some really great resources on their website. Um, about choosing schools and looking at schools for kids with additional needs. There's also great information about um, funding and the complexity of that. So there's lots of information on their website about what the funding looks like and how you go through that process. Your early years educators, your kinder teacher has seen a million and one children transition to school and they will know a lot about the various schools in your area. They have, will have seen a lot of kids with, you know, lots of different needs over the years and they will have great advice about what might be a good fit for you. Um, the Raising Children Network also has some great stuff on there. Um, and if you are looking at a child who has a um, specific condition such as autism, the AMAZE website can be a great help. Um, the uh, Down Syndrome Victoria website has some great advice um, for children with Down Syndrome, but um, I would also recommend having a look at that stuff if your child has an intellectual disability. So look at the resources that might be specific to your condition. Um, but the internet is a great resource, but also be aware that there can be some 
interesting stuff out there. Um, always good to arm yourself with knowledge, but um, just make sure that you're getting it from a reputable source. Great advice. I think that's uh, that's fantastic. And um, thank you so much for your time. I, you know, we really appreciate the fact that you've had to sit in your car for this whole conversation <laughs> <laughs> to overcome the internet um, internet challenges that you that you've got. Um, and um, we really appreciate it. It's been really helpful. And I, and sincerely, we wish that we knew you. Yeah, <laughs> fifteen years ago. Yeah. That's My right. Thank you. And if there's anything, you know, I can help with at any other time, I'm, you know, most happy um, to do so. I've, you know, some of the families that I'm now working with, I've got one mother in particular who is very, very proactive and I mentioned um, this series of podcasts and she's like, oh, LinkedIn, and, uh, you know, I want to contact them because, uh, you know, I've got networks. So it's all about you know, who you know and linking in with other networks. So, you know, if at any point I can be of assistance in any way, please let me know. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, Sarah. And, Thank you. you know, I'm also happy, you know, within reason, I obviously have a job to do, but um, within reason, if there are families that are really struggling with this and, you know, need to have a half an hour, hour chat with someone, I'm more than happy to have a chat with any family that, you know, wants to talk through some, you know, some things. Thanks, Sarah. That's fantastic. Take care. Thank you very much, ladies. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Thanks for being part of the Loop Me In community today and joining our conversation on raising children with disabilities. Join us for the next episode on some of your favorite platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you would like to support us, please recommend the Loop Me In podcast to your network of parents, carers, and providers. If you would like us to cover a topic or invite a guest to chat, please email us at contact at loop-me-in.com.au or go to our website at loop-me-in.com.au. If you've got any feedback, please let us know so we can improve and cover issues you want. And of course, if anything in the podcast today has raised concerns for you, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 4636 or Lifeline on 13 111 4.